This is the one with a busty German. The immersion of Krasnodar. A hapless mole man. Beethoven's fourth wall. Sniffs, glyphs and riffs. And morning breath. It's called Before the Flood. Here we we go. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel's hour. Dalek cyber zoo and wow. Counting Sonic's rating out. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whitaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to yet another fantastic episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Dogpast. Today we have three point something co-hosts and reviewers who are going to give you the skinny on N121 before the flood. I am the uh, primary host tonight, Drew Back When. (laughs) Secondary in Oxford, (laughs) laughing his face off, is this guy. Hi, I'm Leon. And moving on to our German contingent, we have... Well, we've got me for once. It's me, Jim. It's him, Jim! (laughs) (laughs) And next to him, Jim, is her... (laughs) It's me, Marie! (laughs) Whoop, whoop! Hello, everyone. Hello! And hello, podcast land. Yes, without whom no podcast is complete. So... (laughs) Before the flood, second part, people didn't have much hope. People it's, will be stupid. Yeah, it's going to be worse, they said. It can't live up to part one, they said. Uh, I would like to point out that I never said that. <laughs> <laughs> I was wildly optimistic that it would be better than part one, and I think I was proven right. Oh, well, you were excessively harsh on part one, but sure. I don't really mm. remember what we criticised about part one, but I'm with you on this one, Marie. Part two is way better than part one. So much better. I stand by my 2.2. I think it was a fair, fair judgment. Oh yeah, 2.2. That was redonkulous. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, Jim, you saw part one. Why don't you catch Podcast Land up to speed? What would you have given part one? I think nicely in the middle of, of what you lot said, probably. In the high twos or a, or a three, maybe. Okay. And did you like this part more? I think I probably did. Oh, well, that's all four of us then. We might have to rip it apart and see if we still stay that way, though. <laughs> yeah, actually, the, the fact that we're saying this before our review makes it all moot. It's the only time where the second part has been potentially better than the first part. Could be. Oh, very good question. Yeah, what other candidates are there? Well, I thought The Witch's Familiar was going to be, and then you ruined it for me. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome, Drew. (laughs) Should we jump into a B-Scout and find out? Let's do it. Time for us to synopsize, lubify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free-for-all we like to call a a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. Doc, New Oswin, and Bennett have rock, 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 rocked up in Krasnodar, the MOD's fake Russian town built to practice icing commies at the height of the Cold War in 1980, before the flood that caused the lake that caused the underwater base. Sometimes, history needs a push. The spaceship has only just arrived, piloted by enthusiastic Tivolian wannabe gimp Albar Prentice, whose job is to bury his former oppressor, the Fisher King, in a savage barren outpost, Scotland. The Fisher King was just playing possum, though, 
and soon Albar and New Oswin are ghosted. 139 years in the future, yet somehow strictly meanwhile, Clara, Cass, and Lun are studying the Doctor's ghost, who's pronouncing the order in which everybody except Lun is due to die. Will Doc bend the Time Lord's rules, a risky universe ruled by cats, just to save his companion? Peace go over. You are welcome. Aren't you just? <clears throat> so who wants to start us off with a question? I feel like maybe we agreed on a question before pressing record. Who wants to do the honours? What did we all think of Clara in this episode? <laughs> I think Maria should go first. Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, I just wanted to pick up on what I was trying to get across last week with the... Everybody thought that she was totally out of character and she was just being all, like, I'm totally over Danny and now I'm just being, like, really gung-ho and adventurous and da-da-da and it was completely out of character. And I actually thought that it was reflective of her grieving and it was her kind of... Different people deal with grief in different ways and I, I thought that that was related. And then this episode completely proved me right because it's made a lot more clear. Um, there's a couple of points in particular she well when she's dealing with thinking that the doctor has died and she's seeing him as a ghost in front of her and then is on the phone to him alive which is a very odd thing to do she kind of gets really upset about the thought that he might die and kind of tells him he he's not allowed to die like you can't leave me here you've given me this like a will to live when i didn't have one like something else to do after this heartbreak that i've had and then there's the scene at the very end when... Bennett? Bennett? Yeah, when Bennett's really upset about O'Donnell. O'Donnell? Yeah. yeah. Really sorry, I can't remember anybody's names this episode. O'Donnell, like, obviously they never got to be together, and but they had this, like, uh, will-they-won't-they relationship. And Clara is the first one to jump in and say, I know what you're going through. I've been there. I can give you advice. And so it just felt like everything that they... I thought that they'd set up really well in the first episode did come around. But it was a really nice way of doing it. It wasn't too in your face it wasn't like she's not weeping in a corner about Danny she's not mentioned his name at all but with the context of the last series you know that that's what she's referring to so I thought it was uh, really is she I think that when she's on the phone to a dead doctor what she's actually remembering is her call with Matt Smith after Matt Smith was no longer around and she was stuck in the TARDIS with this weird old strange man and she's drawing on her experience of Matt Smith going and him not being replaced she's forgotten Danny already no well what's the what's the line that is about? equally plausible <laughs> <laughs> like, like you gave me another I, I didn't write any notes you gave me another doctor to live by eventually <laughs> I warmed up to you eventually oh I'm, I'm convinced it's about Danny. No, you're, you are absolutely right. But there are points in wh where this script is is weirdly weightless. When the Doctor says, you know, Clara, well, he mansplains it, doesn't he? Just like I'm mansplaining to you now. He says, Clara, we all have to face death eventually, either us or someone else. I mean, I can't believe this hasn't occurred to you before. <laughs> <laughs> But it is because we always say this about Clara when she gets up. Well, we can't say it always because it's only happened once before. But um, she got so upset about the possibility of losing Matt Smith. But of all the companions, she should have been okay because she's seen every doc version of the Doctor. Uh, she knows about regeneration. She knows that he will come back. She's now travelled with two as a companion. And she knows that it might take a little while, but I will find something in you that I can connect with. So, yes, yeah, it didn't feel like it could be just about losing the Doctor because she's been through that too many times for it to have that big of an impact again. Uh, your superior emotional intelligence has bested me once more. <laughs> <laughs> but, however, I do think maybe they maybe it's an intentional thing not to mention Danny because if you are sort of just joining this series and you don't 
have all the backstory, then you don't need to know that. It can just be read as she's upset about losing the Doctor and that's it. Was all the Danny stuff last series? Yeah. Yeah. And last Christmas. And, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But yeah, so, yeah. It, but if, if someone's just started this series, they're not missing anything. It could just be that she's upset about losing the Doctor because obviously that's a really big deal to her as well. And the whole first half of the episode when she's just confronted with his corpse in front of her is like, it's, yeah, I, d- I love how vulnerable she is and how distraught she is and she just doesn't know what to do with herself. I barely so, read any parallels to Danny, if I'm honest, with that. I mean, Except for at the end with the, the O'Donnell reference. There, there's yeah. like a, there's an obvious connection. But the rest yeah. I felt was like, oh, oh shit, she's, she didn't really get to say goodbye to the doctor. Now she's stuck underwater somewhere. Like, how is she going to get out of this situation? And also, like, she's lost everything because yeah. being stuck there in her future, she has nothing. Yeah. I feel like it, there's almost a sense of the characters were written by committee in part two. They were written by what's-his-face uh, Toby Witt House. in part one because they are more themselves this time. Everything about yeah. them is is more accurate. The Doctor, the, doc, the Doctor is super different in his portrayal between these two parts. Do you not feel so? He's way more emotionally competent and way more himself and also way more emotionally distant than emotionally unaware in part two compared to part one. Oh, the Doctor, I thought you were talking about the cast of the week, the base members. Oh, no, I don't really care about them. Yeah. You really liked them last week. Yeah, yeah, sure, but they, they're... They got a resounding two thumbs up from you lot. Yeah, but they are the ancillary companions of the week. There aren't several years of character progression building up to how they are portrayed in this double feature. Okay, I get you. There's nowhere for them to go. The fact that they're grounded by truisms is fine. We'll leave them behind. Bing bong, FYI podcast land, just so you're aware, we have temporarily lost a crew member. Marie has left the international studio, but may return a little bit later on. Just in case anyone's wondering why we're all talking over her constantly. (laughs) On who back when, we never leave a man behind. Well, now that Marie's gone, I can have the last word. And Finally. That, that Clara was actually saying to Bennett, don't wait until the one you really want dies and you're just left with this haggard, pallid, spectral version of what came before. Because you'll only be disappointed as they float around wispily, not living up to your expectations. Uh, I'm joking, I'm joking. Ap- apropos of which, can I ask a question? Does, does this double feature presuppose that there is such a thing as a soul? Definitely yes. Without it, there's nothing that could be electromagnetically extended, yeah? So yeah. A- according... Yeah, he does on, on a number of occasions. And the conversation with the, the Fisher King... And by the way, I'm sorry if I kept calling him the Kingfisher in part one. The Fisher King. It seems as though they have been robbed of their sort of quote actual afterlife by the the Fisher King's actions. This is something that we haven't encountered on Doctor Who before. Well, we have in the Nether Sphere. No, that was a sci-fi thing. This is also a sci-fi thing. Yeah, but this is them actually taking their soul. The Nether Sphere wasn't like, oh, we're going to take your your soul. That was an electronic what's it? That wasn't like, oh, we're going to go to heaven and kidnap everyone who's ever died and put them in this hard drive. I I think in Doctor Who the line. Between between soul and accumulation of memories that could be uploaded to a hard drive is very thin. But that then doesn't presuppose that there is such a thing as an afterlife. The the undertone in this one, I felt, was that these people have now been robbed of eternity. They have been turned into just vessels, into radios, like ham radios for the Fisher King. I keep wanting to say Kingfisher. They, they've been turned into ham radios for this alien rather than be allowed to go and have an afterlife. 
life. Just me. I, I, Jim, I'm, I'm Jim, happy to. I, what do you I think, Jim? The, the Neversphere stuff, though, it was always kind of implied that Doc felt like there was an afterlife because he wasn't that surprised when the TARDIS was able to go somewhere to find Danny after he had died. Like, it was a bit of a gambit, but it wasn't that far-fetched. He kind of felt like, oh, yeah, he, you know, he just goes very grand and goes, we're going to go to hell, and it works. I think that's a turn of phrase. I think that Moffat's, you know, unique, unprecedented, so he thought, conceit was, ah, you know what, the soul just lies with wherever the body ends up and doesn't go to heaven or hell, just sits there forever. And in this episode, the Doctor says, Fisher King, you've messed with the rules of life and death. He doesn't say you've messed with the rules of life and the afterlife. I think the same principle applies here. There is a soul and he's hijacked it, but it wouldn't necessarily go anywhere. All right. Okay. I think they've just left it incredibly vague intentionally. But yeah, the references to soul are hard to miss. Like There's definitely an intention there. Yeah. But there's also, I'm sorry, I don't want to labor this point. There's sort of a lack of a parallel between this and the nether sphere. In the nether sphere, you have retained all of your memories. You have your identity. That is actually way more akin to, I guess, sort of a, a common conception of what the soul might be. You you continue your life in the nether sphere. Here, as far as I understand, there is nothing of the individual retained, except most of their outwardly appearance. Yeah, which I don't want to put my brain to too much because I kind of like that aspect of this two-parter. Like, the ghosts are quite cool. Yeah, they are. But I don't for a millisecond understand what the fuck they are, why that is a thing, <laughs> how they transmit better than whatever signal is actually being used to make them. I don't know. You know, yeah. like the technology <laughs> is so weird. That's also, wait, that's a really good point. Surely it requires technology to continue to transmit their appearance. Just invest that technology in sending out your ham radio signal. Exactly. Like, <laughs> Video signals aren't that hard. Like it might take some time, you know. Yeah, and it's not like they're antennae. They are messages themselves. Yeah, but. yeah, but it's it's a way that you can recruit more ghosts and amplify the signal. It provides the episode with some sort of threatening progression. Yeah, uh, agreed. Totally agree. Which a CB radio wouldn't quite match. No, <laughs> like it's a really <laughs> yeah. nice setup. I just, I just do not stand it in the slightest. Like, and also, what's the AI, the intelligence that is driving? them like they they have ways of solving problems but in a very rudimentary way oh yeah that's true but they seem to be sort of learning you know there's there's definitely an intelligence in them which we can only assume isn't the original person because it seems fairly clear that the original person's been lost yeah yeah which is why it's weird to all but call them a soul then because they, they are just overwritten avatars aren't they yeah yeah, yeah that's true mm. oh. don't think about it jim yeah yeah you're right let's let's change the topic of conversation <laughs> It's unfortunately, it's you know, it's it's the thing that's gonna knock maybe a whole point off for me. Like, I'd, holy moly, um, a whole point! Well, just in this two-parter in general, like I think okay. it's just a massive hole in this concept. It's, it would have been really nice if something had kind of tried to paper over that a bit better. But Jim, if you really took a, if you took a point off for every massive hole in this two-parter, you would be into the minuses very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Very good point. Okay, can okay. We... Oh, oh, go for it, Drew. I mean, surely we have to start at the beginning. I was just about to do the same. Me too. <laughs> <Whoa>! <laughs> okay, Drew, what, what do you want to start with? Well, I want to start with 
could any other doctor have commanded this scene like Capaldi did? This this fourth wall breaking, amp straddling, rock god persona. Could any other doctor have come close? Because you you two have seen a lot of doctors by this point. I, I had to be reminded by the uh, about this by the trivia, but we have encountered it twice before. It has happened in Doctor Who twice before, and we have encountered both occasions on Who Back When. Uh, once with the first and once with the fourth. Oh yeah, how did they go? Don't really remember. Oh wait, no, wait, uh, Jim, we did the fourth one, didn't we? That's the first Leela episode, I think. When he's walking oh, yeah. around in the jungle, he's talking to the audience. I don't remember it that well. I feel like it, that was probably quite a different take on this, though. Oh, definitely, I mean, fourth, yeah. Fourth breaking is obviously a weird thing in an episode anyway, but I feel like, I think the fact that this is in the intro of this one really, really bugged me. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I, for, for a brief second, because um, we've been flipped over to German Netflix and had to find a different way of watching Dot 2. For a brief second, I was watching this episode and, and thought, have I started the wrong thing? Am I watching a commentary, like a behind-the-scenes episode? <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, yeah, it was just so different, so out of the ordinary. And it, yeah, never warmed to it, never warmed to it. I might be misremembering this a little bit, but isn't it relatively similar to the beginning of Listen, when Capaldi is writing on his blackboard? But he's very much talking to himself. That is, Yeah, and... that is true, isn't it? You're right. Yeah, and he, he's bringing himself along. They could have done a similar thing here, but they, they must have thought, you know what, we did that for Listen. We've got to take it one more further. Yeah. I, I, I think I've also just remembered what it's uh, what the, the corresponding scene with the first Doctor is. It's it's Actually, it's not corresponding at all, but the first time that the Doctor breaks the fourth wall, I think it's in the Feast of Stephen with the Doctor wishing the audience uh, a happy Christmas. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't we, count at all. We can discount that. That's exceptional. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say that some other Doctors could have matched Capaldi for intensity here. Eccleston is the obvious example. Absolutely. But I'd say that to deliver this scene would be beyond Matt Smith's gibbering and ticks and flailing limbs and wibble wobble and Tennant's delivery would be way too languid whereas Capaldi he just transfixes you. I what, do you Jim remember when Matt Smith board. did this? I totally was. Wait, do you remember when Matt Smith did this? Matt Smith and, uh, uh, what's her face, Amy Pond, did this in uh, a, a promo of some sort, or maybe like a bonus a prologue. episode. Oh, right, yeah. Exactly, yeah, you're right. It's one of these yeah, bonus yeah. prologue episodes where they're walking to the camera. They're, they're like in the BBC prop department, and they're walking towards the camera, talking to the audience. Nowhere near the same gravitas. No. Leon, could McGann have done it? Oh, okay. First off, let's just agree that McGann can do anything, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I think he could. New yes, McGann as opposed to movie McGann. Sorry, Jim. I, say, I find this really interesting because I'd forgotten about the prologue thing that Matt Smith and Karen Gillan did. I can't remember that clearly, but I immediately thought Matt Smith probably could pull this off. I think he, he had the ability to turn that on sometimes and maybe it would be played a bit differently and he wouldn't quite pull off the rock star thing maybe but <laughs> he could whip out a banjo <laughs> <laughs> a ukulele <laughs> or a slide whistle <laughs> Yeah, John I can't. John Hurt could play a harmonica. John Hurt could have done it. Oh, John, John Hurt definitely could have done it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But he's basically Capaldi with a moustache. <laughs> yes. <laughs> could, think, do you think yeah. jo Jodie Whittaker could have done it? No. I think that the actress Jodie Whittaker absolutely could, but I don't think Doctor yeah, but Who, not... as it is now, would put that on the screen. Exactly. Yes, sorry. Jodie Whittaker, I'm, I'm sure, can do lots of stuff. 13th Doctor, as we know her, could not do this. Sorry, Jim, I once again talked over you. Oh, I don't know what I was saying. <laughs> okay, sorry. I don't I think... So, Jim, 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 oh, no, Jim, go, go, Jim. <laughs> 
I think Jodie Whittaker's doctor could do this. I, I State think your case. They don't know how to write for her a lot of the time, but I th- I feel like they've got it right on occasion, and they've hit the right level of intensity and like gravitas with her character, and they've they've hit the right level with comedy on occasion. They're just not very good at establishing how much of that her, her doctor has or keeping it going for a whole episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in, in essence, I do agree with you. The thirteenth Doctor could pull it off if the thirteenth Doctor were portrayed completely differently. Well, no, I think we were writing her. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> for example, there's enough in that character that you could you could take it from from her. But um, yeah, the consistency isn't there to to really kind of peg it down well enough. Uh, and what I was going to say actually earlier was I think this is a like a double whammy of why the intro really bothers me is because Capaldi is great. Like that's it's a really nice scene, but it just really didn't work for me. Like if what I would actually know what I really wanted to see is because we left the last episode with him going off in the TARDIS with Bennett and not Oswin. Cass? O'Donnell. O'Donnell. And I wanted it at the end to basically just pan round to them and it wasn't a fourth wall thing. It was him talking to them and explaining time travel. That that totally would have sold me on it but the fact it stayed as a fourth wall breaking manoeuvre it just bothered me. Hmm. But thematically... They come back to it at the end and that's the end of the episode as well. Thematically it's congruent. It is essentially saying you know what this isn't going to make complete sense. I'm going to be upfront about it. I'm not going to satisfy you. So here's something that equally stands out from the uh, established timeline. Yeah, not by a minute. <laughs> I was hugely on board with this, by the oh, way. Okay. Yeah, I, I... Emphasis on the huge... <laughs> I was completely on board uh, for this. I liked that this was it, that it was bookended. The only thing that I didn't really like was the metal element of it. It, it was kind of cool in the beginning, but then I, I I felt that it took me out of it at the end when all of a sudden there was like a, a guitar riff that that was too much. But I liked that it was bookended to the degree where he is then referencing it at the end, and no one else who's present understands what he's talking about because there was no one else there. Only we get it. I I think that. That there wasn't enough metal because one of my notes was that the guitar throughout the title sequence is great but where's the hard rock powerhouse drumming to go along with it and someone roaring the ah because <laughs> because and yes. this is a tie into some trivia oh which here we go here we go he already knows oh i think so the fisher king's roars uh-huh. were supplemented by Corey taylor lead singer of slipknot yes so why not just have Slipknot do their own version of the theme? For Absolutely, this that would have been insanely badass. <laughs> that would have been so cool. <laughs> but by the way, did you recognise the Fisher King's voice? I went on IMDb to look up. Like, oh wait, hang on, who has that awesome voice? Did you record? Holy moly! Did you also get goosebumps when you read who voiced him? Yes, I did. <laughs> Fran, I got more than goosebumps. Fran, Fran, <laughs> I'm coming, Fran. <laughs> I love how we both went to Fran, if not all three of us. <laughs> <laughs> He's done so much. He's I had know. such a varied career. I literally, when I was looking him up, just uh, well, in fact, you just hover over his name on um, Wikipedia and it's like the things he's done. And I, I genuinely didn't realize he was the voice of Darth Maul in um, The Phantom Menace. Wait, and it's what? Like, this, this what pops up is like, he's the voice of Darth Maul, he's in Shaun of the Dead, and he's in Guardians of the Galaxy. It's like, I want this dude's career. Like, he's just so awesome. <laughs> Wait, he voiced Darth Maul? Yeah. So they overdubbed mind... what's his face who played him? Yeah, I thought, I totally what? thought. <laughs> Wait till Dave Prowse hears about this. <laughs> <laughs> I thought 
thought that was a whole thing. Like they made the stunt double like the the actor because he was just so awesome. I, I assumed he just did everything, and he barely says anything anyway. I kind of figured. Yeah, like, that's true. The actor did it, not the not an extra overdub, but apparently not. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, um, sorry. I also, right. as a very quick side point, I have to say how cute it is. Both of you think an electric guitar is metal. I mean, this is <laughs> this is not metal. Like he does three little, not even pounds, and you're calling it. Leon brought up the word metal. I didn't want to humiliate him, in, but Jim has no qualms. <laughs> I didn't want to sound like a granddad by saying, and I and I wasn't fond of the rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you see that the amp that he uses is a Magpie Electronics amp? But of course. Oh. Mm. Uh, I didn't spot it, but I, I saw the trivia. Oh, and what, what is that a reference to, then, Mr. Leon? Uh, Idiot's Lantern. Oh, Podcast Land knows this. Precisely yeah. 100 episodes ago. No way. Wow. That's pretty cool. Um, can I just say one other quick thing that really bugged me out the intro? Oh, please. The fact that they name drop, or Doc name drops the paradox, the bootstrap paradox, and then just says, Google it. Mm. No, don't tell me to Google things, don't <laughs> Yeah, other search engines are available. Yeah. Yeah. Give me an explanation or don't name the brand at least. <laughs> now I kind of want him to have said, just bing it. <laughs> just ask Jeeves. <laughs> I'll have you know that I duck duck goad it just to piss them off. <laughs> <laughs> and how many, how many hits did you get? I don't know, millions. That's enough. Okay. No, I agree. I agree that was the, the one sour note for me too. Oh, I didn't mind it. Oh, I had things to say about Paul Kay, who had a slightly bigger role in this, but ah, not right. really. Yeah, only this slightly. Yeah, I, I expected a bit more. Prentice, Mr. Tivolian. Mm-hmm. Um, so another another weird trivia thing. Like, Paul Kay's pretty awesome. Um, I, I remember growing up with Dennis Pettis. But he also appeared in an episode of Space, which David Williams was in. David oh, Williams. yes! Of Holy course, moly, that's him! The previous Tivolian in Doctor Who. Oh, well oh that done, is Jim. excellent, excellent circular <laughs> trivia. Love it. A lovely circular trivia. Oh, yeah. Robert, let's just end the episode now. That was that's good. <laughs> and of course, Peter Serafinovich is also in space as Dwayne Benzi. <gasps> cool, indeed. Tim, hi. <laughs> Dwayne Bentley. Clever <laughs> <laughs> <Another> boys. <laughs> really want to rewatch Spaced. Do we have a time now? Anytime. Sorry, what? Uh, it, come on over this weekend. Let's just binge Spaced. Socially distanced, <laughs> we sit in opposite corners of the room. Spaced in the middle. <laughs> Just very briefly returning to uh, Mr. Prentice, did you guys see his business card? Oh, no. It has really? a... was, was there a humorous tagline? Yes. Alba Prentice, Universal Funeral Director. May the remorse be with you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I really liked <laughs> his character. Yeah, I, I thought he that? absolutely nailed it for the one scene he was given. Yeah, agreed. I think I preferred his snivelling to David Williams' snivelling in the God of Complex episode. Yeah, 100%. Well, that was going to be my next point, was would it have got old really fast if there'd been three or four scenes worth of it? Mm, maybe. I did very much like the, if you'd occupied us, you'd be home by now. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> <planet> was, <laughs> or, or the welcome sign. Or whatever. <laughs> On the capital city, yeah. <laughs> I like that he was uh, offering the doctor a selection of items that you could oppress me with. <laughs> Which my note for that is BDSM oppression. <laughs> Definitely. I think he has a nice little <laughs> burgundy chest out <laughs> in the back of his spaceship as well. Yeah, I-, 
I'd like to credit the makeup department as well as Paul Kay's manic performance. This Tivolian looks completely alien and has a ton of makeup and prosthetics on and everything. But the face is really expressive. As expressive as a human face. It's not impaired in any way by everything they've slathered on there. That's yeah, very, very true. true. Yeah. Which it, it contrasts very much with the utterly inert, immobile Fisher King suit. Oh, it, it, look, can we talk Fisher King? What a, what a dude. That costume is amazing. Like, I do I do understand Drew's point a little bit that it's very static, especially when you've got Peter Serafinich's voice coming through your earballs, who's just so kind of rich and, and there's barely any mouth movement or anything to, yeah, to kind of suggest. Sonorous. It, it, sonorous. it does move a little bit. He's got those sort of predator yeah. fangs that move a little bit. And he also yeah, has but they, the... they move at random. They don't move in time with any words or expressions or any pattern I could perceive. It's just like, you know what, we should make this move now. Uh, yeah, Todd is translation matrix. He's actually talking all <laughs> kinds of alien gobbledygook. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> but the translation matrix is turning that into Peter Serafinovich, which is pretty <laughs> awesome. In the TARDIS translation matrix... Like, exactly, wait, hang on. How does the TARDIS decide which actor to cast every translation in? It's like, hmm, do we, do we, do we cast... Uh, the, do we cast Peter Serafinovich or the dude who was the stuntman who played Darth Maul? Hmm, what do we do? <laughs> yeah, I think I think the TARDIS picked the right one. I also like that the... If, seriously, always want to call him Kingfisher. I, I like that the Fisher King had the strategically placed unpadded area just around his, I, I guess, his solar plexus, but where the actor's face was, so that he could look out there, and then um, presumably he had, like, uh, an alien prosthetic around about his forehead. I didn't spot that. That's very good. The chap who played him, by the way, did you see this trivia? At the time, he was the tallest man in the UK. Not only that, in the European Union. Oh, really? Seven oh, yes. foot, seven and a half inches tall. Neil Fingleton. We do have to... Um raise the glass unfortunately guys oh yes that's true died a couple of years later yes uh chin chin neil cheers neil yeah he was uh, did you just say he was seven foot seven yeah and a half how does that scale with what we see he's probably maybe a foot shorter than that creature is there's probably not too much prosthetic on top it's maybe maybe just the head yeah possibly but what an imposing yeah. outfit just in in or i mean everything all of everything about this character is so imposing but in addition to that a seriously interesting alien like this is just i i don't want to i've already written up a little mini for later i don't want to quote it too much but like this is a worthy big bad for me yeah mm, i'm not convinced all right okay fine well, i think <laughs> Wait for my mini. <laughs> Sorry, Tim. Some of his actions are a bit weak, but I, I think as a concept and a visual treat and audio treat. Um, yeah, and also the malice that lies behind his very short, very static performance, but the, the malice that lies behind it, th this whole horrendous plan of his to hijack souls and do all kinds of shit, that's super badass. It is, and that is worthy of Peter Serafinovich's voice. I just feel like they didn't quite stick the landing fully. Okay. I mean, we've just had friggin' Davros, and not everyone can measure up to Davros. In fact, possibly no one can measure up to Davros, so I can't judge him by that standard. But I feel like, and now I'm cannibalizing my own mini, ah. in the tete-a-tete -tete with the Doctor, the best part of which, by the way, is the side-on shot of him looming over the Doctor and Capaldi <laughs> just looking terrified. <laughs> that is so effective. I never, I've never seen... Have I ever seen any other Doctor that scared? 
like looking that vulnerable? Oh, that's like, a good question. I'm not sure. Either. Capaldi isn't carrying a pretense of, yeah, I'm the doctor. I've seen everything. I can get through this. He is just looking terrified. But anyway, that's a sidebar. <laughs> My point was, he, he starts to talk about the Time Lords and, and recaps their history in a sentence. And then it's over. And it feels like it was a line that was omitted from a previous Toby Whithouse script that he had flying about. And he thought, you know, what, I'll just drop it in here and zhuzh this one up a bit. And it's like, no, no, if you're going to put that in, go further. Ah, it seemed like a missed opportunity. Wholeheartedly agree. Hey, here's my friend who agrees with me. Hello, here I am. <laughs> the other couple of things that bug me about the Fisher King are uh, how easily it is swayed from I'm pointing a gun at the Doctor, I'm about to shoot the Doctor. Oh, the Doctor said he's erased my message. Oh, I'll just let the Doctor live and go check that out then. Um, <laughs> By lumbering outside. Yeah, that's a bit dumb, isn't nothing. it? <laughs> Oh no! Oh no! I can, I can already feel. I can feel the rating that I've pre-written is just already being nudged slightly. I believe Jim had more to say. Oh no! <laughs> the other thing is, why? Why is it here? And why does it turn up looking like it's dead? Because I, I didn't oh, get yeah. that from Zode, <laughs> unless I missed something. No, you're right. That wait. It kind of why is seems- that? It, I mean, it wants to call all its mates, but it's just gone from a planet where all its mates were. Like, Is this how they pick which world to invade next? One of them plays dead and gets a Tivolian to transport them there for a fake funeral. Yeah, to a savage, barren outpost. Why not go somewhere rich and flowing with milk and honey? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Why do they want the Earth? Does he ever say that? I'm not do. I, I think... Because it's there. It seems like he just wants rescuing, in a way, but to kill some people on the way because it's fun. Yeah? Is this really an invasion? It didn't feel like an invasion. There's an armada on the way, apparently. Isn't and they're going to help us drain the oceans when the sea levels get too high. So, you know, I for one welcome our new sheep skull <laughs> overlords. <laughs> I didn't question this once while watching the episode. That is such a good point. Damn it. You want something else, dude? Oh, yeah, go for it. I I also have a little bit of uh, shit to throw at this episode. Well, maybe this is it. A few minutes earlier in the same conversation, the Fisher King said he could hear the words, the glyphs, the coordinates tick inside the doctor. And then the doctor says, you know what? I just erased them. And did he do it with his sonic specs when no one was looking? But is that not because the... Oh, sorry, go for it. Sorry, I didn't mean to... Well, I, I just... We don't see how that happens, how the how the Doctor apparently pulls that off. The Fisher King could just wait a second and go, nope, still ticking. You lied. Bang, dead. <laughs> but aren't the glyphs that the uh, Fisher King can hear the ones that got into the Doctor's eye in the future? And now that he's travelled back in the past, he has erased them not from his eye, but from the spaceship. So it's a paradox, because then how could they have gotten into his uh, eye later on in the future? But... But he doesn't erase them from the spaceship. No, I mean, that's the lie, isn't it? That's the the thing that the uh, Fisher King then goes to the spaceship and he's like, oh no, wait, shit, they are there. Like, the Time Lord lied. Yeah, but in the same way, he could just listen to the doctor's ticking head and be like no that doesn't check out yeah. i don't know i, mean, I was I okay with that face value that doc had managed to take it out of his head because he's a time lord and time lords can do that kind of shit i mean now, now we're back to don't question it it's the doctor no, but and these, i hate that these are valid yeah. points but i i took i interpreted that differently in the episode i took that to mean it doesn't matter what you can hear inside my eyeball like what matters is that i've removed it from the spaceship so that no one in the future in this version of the future is going 
going to be affected by it. Oh, I see. And because the doctor says, you know what, I'm going to risk this paradox. Yeah. I'm going to set up a paradox. Exactly. The, the he, standard he, rules no longer apply. Yeah. He's effectively saying that he's set up a different timeline, right? Uh, this is the whole inv- invasion of cats, blah, 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 blah. But right. it, so whether you can hear me ticking or not, I am going to undo it. Yeah, exactly. In which case, shoot the fucker. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. We're back to Dalek logic, where it's like, no, you've had approximately 300 occasions over the past 57 years to just shoot everyone in your way. Why didn't you? Yeah. And the same thing goes for this. He's super tall. He doesn't even have to shoot him. Why does he have a gun? He could just like pick him up and play basketball with him. He could just squish him into a little ball. <laughs> You know, actually, oh, this is, yeah, this is my other beef with the, the Fisher King I forgot about. The, the, it's an absolute letdown to see that he has a gun for a start because it's such an imposing character. And then just you glance that there's a weapon at his side and it looks it looks really weird, you know, next to that awesome costume. But also, how the hell did it kill O'Donnell and Prentice? Because it sounds like there is a shot, like it sounds like they've been shot, but like they're just lying there as actors without any prosthetics and blood or anything. You know, I know it's Doctor Who and it's, a kid show or family show at least but there was no implication of exactly how they died it's just like person on floor dead yeah I was a, I was a little let down by O'Donnell's death as well if I'm honest A by the fact that he there's not even a dialogue between those two Like all of a sudden we just know that the Fisher King has seen her like they encounter each other he's behind her it's just so obvious that that's going to happen when she steps out into from a, from out of her hiding place and just turns her back to the camera I wonder if someone's behind you buddy but then the, the <laughs> fact that she then also survives long enough to have her little farewell with with Bennett. It's like, this gun really can't be that powerful. Maybe it shoots some little energy ray or something. I mean, what, what's, what's the big deal, man? Unless yeah. it's not a weapon as such, but more of a soul extraction device. Then put that in the script. Like, I'd, I'd be happy with that. It's like it fits with some of the other things, you know, sort of. Okay, her ghost does not show up in the future until right after she has been killed in the past. That's like, yeah. that is Bill and Ted logic. That's the whole, like, we're traveling back in time. We're traveling around time however much we want, but in our home time, the clock is ticking. And, like, nothing can be affected before that time. So as the as the clock is ticking, all the changes will take place relative to the time we spent away. So, because otherwise, wouldn't, wouldn't her ghost have been there all along? Wouldn't the second Capaldi shows up, would he not encounter his own ghost? Like, at the start of uh, Under the Lake, wouldn't the first thing they see not be O'Donnell's ghost and Capaldi's ghost? Yeah, but Capaldi is projecting a hologram. So yeah, I have more control- beefs about that, by the way. Yeah, Let's put a pin get, in that shit. <laughs> yeah, the, the O'Donnell one, definitely. That, yeah. that annoyed me, but especially when this entire episode is trying to say, yes, we can set up paradoxes. We're bookending this with what if Beethoven didn't exist and someone went and created Beethoven's works. It's like, who then wrote these things? And it's, okay, well, that's that's the logic you're setting up, that people know about an event, they go back in time and create the event. But then this is contrary to that. This is going back in time and creating an event that then immediately happens in the future. So why have you shoved that in a, a story where you're talking about the bootstrap paradox? It's just, yeah, yeah. It's, it's Bill and Ted. Like, do one or the other. Like, it's complicated enough as it is. Don't have the viewer going, hang on, you just told me this. Why are you now doing doing that yeah yeah we're, we're getting rid of a for this episode we're going to do a double feature that's b and then they do c and also some of a <laughs> it's very silly yeah okay so p- 
potential rewrites might have been if you don't want to give away the fact that O'Donnell's going to die and that the that there will be a Doctor Ghost of some sort or the appearance of a Doctor Ghost, why not just have okay? So we we can peer out into the very murky water and we see that there are two more ghosts out there, but we don't know who they are yet. They're too far away or whatever. We know that there are two more ghosts, and then the reveal is something happens in the past. We now get it, and then flash forward to the future and somewhere out of sight we see oh there's O'Donnell's ghost oh there's the Doctor's ghost yeah have them just out of range of the Wi-Fi because O'Donnell's got killed in a different building so they could have a little side expedition a little side quest and go out and pick her up I mean yeah that would be very silly to put themselves in danger like that. But maybe they need to go there because, I don't know, they took the iPhone. I don't know. They something sent out like a little probe in the first one. Like, oh, that's true. They go, they go and scout. Like, that could be the thing that sets off. Yeah, like, that's how they pick up the suspended animation chamber. So it, it goes and like basically engages the ghost. Yeah, that could be different. Yeah, like, yeah. You could also so from afar. Uh, an upgraded horror movie. Because like going back to the, the idea that the ghosts have some kind of intelligence, they just ignore someone who hasn't seen the signal. Whereas surely if they had more of intelligence, they would be trying to do everything to grab that person and take them to the coordinate signal thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Why can't they themselves transmit the glyphs? Well, yeah, that as well. <laughs> like, turn them into sort of zombie-like uh, creatures whereby if you encounter them too long or if you stare into their eyes, then the glyphs transfer or something. Otherwise, like, what, hap- what, what, if, what if the ship erodes? Or what if, like, you know, enough fish in the lake, enough fish bump into those glyphs on the side panel of the ship that it sort of just nudges off the wall, and then no one knows what to repeat forever as a ghost. Or someone turns up with some duct tape. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just covers it up. (laughs) Yeah. Fake Soviet kids with uh, the graffiti at the inside of the thing. They're just like, write dicks everywhere. And every ghost forever is just going like, oh, dick, dick. Oh, I don't know. I'll cut that. <laughs> See, I think this is another missed opportunity in general. Because Toby Witt House. House, yes, is taking the episode somewhere different. He's saying the usual rules no longer apply. Instead of just shitting on all the other established time travel fiction canonical rules thereby, why not add some new ones why not just have a paragraph or two of techno babble where because these uh, time flows are locked in step they are asynchronous but mutually constituting and so that's why when o'donnell dies there she appears there because of i don't know temporal magnetism or something like that Bingo. and exactly and then just and then if that sounds good enough then that becomes canon yeah i i hope the bbc is listening that was gold <laughs> it actually made me think the o'donnell thing isn't Bill and Ted logic. The, the bootstrap paradox is Bill and Ted logic. It's back to the future logic. Oh. Also, yeah. Oh, it, yes, oh, there's a similar thing in in Bill and Ted as well, though. Is there? I thought they always kind of like, they think, oh, if we go do this in the future, it will happen now. And it happens now. They do do that, definitely. In which Bill and Ted do we get the, the evil... Am I thinking of the second Bill and Ted? Bogus Journey, yes you are. The robots, yeah. Uh, not, not the... Oh, no, but it is the second one. It's the guy who who builds the robots, the mastermind behind them, he has exactly that moment. 
He yeah. like materializes a gun or something. He's like, I watched right. the first movie. I can do that too. Check out the gun I brought with me. And then he like manifests a gun. I mean, one seems to be the inverse of the other. Yeah, in fact, I think they subvert that because they, they then say, ah, but only the winner gets to go into the future and then come back in the past and set this stuff up. And his gun turns into one that just goes, pops out a thing that says bang. Oh, bingo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jim, are you gonna are you gonna come and see the third with us? Yeah, please do. <laughs> <laughs> like I've definitely seen the third film, but yeah, yeah, they're consistent with their logic. That's why it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be asked to go and see Tenet, but Bill and Ted Three, I will risk almost anything. <laughs> a ditto. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Back to Doctor Who. Back to Doctor Who, <laughs> yeah, sure. yes. Okay, c- can I point out something else that I thought was crap? For an episode that you apparently liked, there's a lot of crap coming out of your mouth. <laughs> I'm still relatively enthused by this episode, but I'm not sure I can stand by the rating I pre-wrote. Anyway, right, here's the thing that I thought was crap. Cass, is that her name? Yeah, Cass. She has a daredevil moment in this part, where mm. she's walking down the tunnel. There's a really nice effect of her work, uh, walking down a tunnel, and all of a sudden all the sound is sort of dampened around her. And we get Ish, her point of view. We can still hear uh, one of the ghosts, I can't remember which ghost it was now, maybe the first ghost that's created, dragging the hatchet uh, along the floor or something. So, so we, uh, maybe we can hear steps as well, but everything's much, like, really, really quiet, quite dampened. But then, at a certain point, she crouches down, touches the floor, and all of a sudden everything turns into Daredevil, and she can see everything through vibrations, and she can sense that, oh, there's someone behind her and everything. Why not, if you think someone's following you, if you're walking down a tunnel in a haunted underwater base, why wouldn't you just turn around? Like, wh- why wouldn't you just look around you, for goodness sake? Another Peter Serovinovich classic. Wait, which one? He's in a series called Look Around You, written by the same guy who writes Friday Night Dinner. Oh, really? How nice. Yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> but no, you are absolutely right. That is a definite corridor. Just use <laughs> the turning ability God gave you and spin 180 instead of having to duck under his lunge. Yeah, I'm, I get that it's nice to use that special effect and maybe Daredevil had just come out. I don't know. Maybe that was part of the public consciousness. Do you- Daredevil had only recently, 13 years earlier, come out. <laughs> I stand Wait, corrected. No. But <laughs> you mean the film, don't you? And I think Leon means the TV show. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I meant sort of both. <laughs> uh, okay. The TV show hadn't come out yet, right? The TV show is way too new for that. 2015. What? If that had just come out, then that is why they included that scene. How shit. Wow, yeah. Yeah, okay, boom. There you go. You're busted. It was broadcast from April, yeah, 2015, so there you go. Right. So, of, uh, <laughs> so they've written this around. episode. Yeah, they've, they've written this episode. Someone at the BBC has a Netflix account, <laughs> runs to the production, <laughs> runs to the set, like, everyone, stop, stop shooting, stop shooting. I've got an idea. <laughs> and they set up the whole thing. It's super original. I'm going to do this thing. This is what it's going to look like. Everyone's going to be like, holy moly, that's the coolest thing ever and it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever i have a different problem with it okay what's that well we go into daredevil vision and suddenly we can see everything what i would have liked was was to have been she puts her fingers to the ground and in her mind's eye she realizes that something is touching the ground so you just have the two contact points of the floor
floor and the hatchet uh, light up in her mind and then she thinks something else and it and it starts to materialize and then you get the head and then she realizes very quickly up the handle and there's a ghost at the end of the handle and then um she goes she turns around <laughs> much more sensibly and gets the hell out of there rather than it just all appears but just through a filter either really that or at the very least show us the uh, pre-credit scene the, the the scene in between the two episodes where she flashes back to as a child a truck carrying radioactive material passed her by and splashed her in the eyes <laughs> thus giving uh, her daredevil abilities i think i have a slightly different take on it as well because i didn't mind that she used her other senses to work out what was going on because she had previously felt like she was being followed and turned around the corridor and didn't see a ghost so this time around she felt she was being followed and she tried a different thing so i i didn't mind it too much i just hated the visual effect i would probably be happy if there wasn't a visual effect or if we had something along drew's kind of lines but what they did i felt was really cheap I don't know if I was a deaf person, if I would be offended by that as well. I'm not sure. But yeah, it, it definitely had that kind of superhero feel to it, which... Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Let's be a bit fair. I really did like most of that sequence when the ghost is tracking Cass. And I am so slow. I was the one who was caught by the cut from sound to silence. Only then did I realize, oh shit, she can't hear it. Oh fuck, she's in terrible danger. So that completely worked for me as an imbecile. And I really liked that. Would you have been less disappointed by the scene if she had turned around, not seen anyone behind her, but still felt something, touched the wall, and felt that something was coming around a corner? Ooh, that's clever. There's another corridor. Yeah. And if she has these superpowers, just use them constantly. <laughs> just human sonar. It's not superpowers so much as the other senses are enhanced slightly. That, that's the angle they should have gone with. Yeah. Rather than, I can now see every molecule vibrating in this whole station as if I've drunk two blue Leon energy drinks. <laughs> <laughs> I think the sad thing is that it just, it really reeked of someone very late decided we should have a visual effect for this. Like that, that scene probably didn't exist of the axe grinding on the floor in between. It probably was just her touching the floor and then you get the action thing of her missing the, the swipe. But someone decided we're going to do a visual effect. It's really last minute and they just got an intern to turn on the most basic filter of like doing edge enhancement and it's like, yep, <laughs> ship it. <laughs> Yeah, like no thought. There's my friend who agrees with me. And also, uh, preceding preceding this, I forget actually how it fits in the timeline. Yeah, I think be just before this, we have the uh, the classic moment of Clara having quite a nice. Com like I think Clara and Cass's relationship in this is quite interesting. How like they're forced together, and they you know they've got a one sided conversation going on because Clara doesn't understand sign language. She understands um, some of it. Well, yeah. <laughs> Which was nice as well. But yeah, they decide to leave the safety of the Faraday cage and go out together. And Clara makes a big point of, yes, we but we have to stay together. And literally 30 seconds later, they split apart. And it's just really, really annoying. Like, it's just cheap. Tell you what I did like about that scene, though. About... about the the well the scene in between where they have split up i liked the portrayal of clara calling out to cass and then telling herself oh, 
you're an idiot and just walking yeah. off screen. I thought that was quite nice. It, it didn't spell it out too much, but it, it was just a, a moment, just a, a, a moment of insight on her part, which I appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we haven't really covered all of Clara. I think she does pretty well. She has quite a lot to do. Yeah. Much less than I thought that she would in this part. Yeah. She doesn't hijack the TARDIS and find the Doctor wherever he's ended up. Um, she does just sort of go ping-ponging around the station from one peril to the next. Mm. But she gets to interact a lot and, like you say, learn some things. Do some personnel management. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. How did you feel about the scene where, I think it's Lun? Lun! 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 What's, what's that thing? Oh, it's uh, Alan Partridge. We just shout Alan. 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 Anyway, Lun is. Haven't seen it. Drink. <laughs> <laughs> Lun is taking Clara's role to help Clara. Like, he recognizes that she's had to deal with this kind of stuff and says, like, what advice would you give me to give you effectively? Like, yeah, kind of like... it's, yeah, it's quite clever. It's it's sort of reconnecting her with her, the more controlled side of herself that she's momentarily lost. It's quite a, quite a clever tactic. And also, is it is it reminding the audience that, you know, Clara's normally a good companion? She normally, you know, fulfills that role quite well. And this is a moment where she's not sure how to deal with something because a normal linchpin as the Doctor and the Doctor's stood dead outside in front of her. Yeah, I, I think it supports that too. There, there are plenty of clever things in this episode. I shouldn't sound surprised. <laughs> so I have a parallel. Let's hear it. Draw. The, the Doctor is telling his lady friend that the universe operates in a certain way and the rules have to be obeyed. And this lady friend is saying, if you loved me, you would just ignore them, disregard them, and we'll see what happens and we'll just go with it because our Love means more than the universe. Does that remind you of anyone? Little Amy Pondy. I was thinking it was a little The Wedding of River Songy. Oh. Where all of time is happening at once. Wait, remind me? All of time is happening at once. Churchill is the Roman emperor. There are trains going into the pyramids and balloons flying around the gherkin. And the whole point is River Song will not get on board. And she's saying, but I love you that much. And the doctor's like, ah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Because I thought that Clara saying down the phone, no, it's because if you love me that much, you'll do it. I didn't buy that. I didn't think that was a good reason. But I thought it was here because they've sort of gone there before. I didn't like it this time. I had forgotten about that entirely, to be honest with you. But I think you're probably right. Maybe it's just a... Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm trying to think how Clara phrases those things. Like, is she not saying what she's saying because she feels like the doctor isn't trying hard enough to save himself? So it's kind of like, if you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for me. Is that the intention behind it, or have I misremembered? Could it not maybe be that she feels, wait, hang on, Doctor, I get that you're now resigned to the fact that you're going to die. Fine. Uh, That's how selfless you are. But you're also so selfless that you care more about other people than you care about yourself. And she wants him to save himself. But if the only way that he can save himself is by her convincing him to save her, then maybe that's the straw that she's grasping at. I I think you're in a similar area. I I like these interpretations. You are Amelia rating it for me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, can I pull the rating back down again, though? Ah, what are you going to say? Doc's hologram ghost. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah? Why is it a creepy fucker? (laughs) 
Okay. Why is it a creepy fucker? How is it a hologram projected by his glasses in the past? What? When did he do that? When did he set that up? Why did he not just set up his hologram to spell out exactly what was going on? If even just to lessen the shock and the burden, the emotional burden that Clara had to endure for about half an hour. Dude, 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 I have answers to two of these questions. Oh, let's hear them. The first answer is is the Doctor's ghost appeared when they hauled the suspended animation chamber into the base with the Doctor in it. The glass ah. is connected with the Wi-Fi. He does explain that. Nice. Okay, cool. I did not pick up on that. Very good. And the second point is you have just a minute ago said Clara in her extremity of desperation is convincing the Doctor to do this. To do exactly what he's done to drive her to that extremity of desperation. And so that all links together that is all bootstrap paradox that must happen in that way right could you not envision a different bootstrap <laughs> paradox wherein his hologram literally just gives her instructions instructions to tell him something in order for him to then input those instructions in the past but he he does program the hologram to give him instructions via clara it's the chamber will open tonight. Yeah, but why do that in the form of a spooky riddle? Which also, ser- like, that experience is traumatizing for Clara. She is straight up suffering from PTSD again after this. Like, even worse now than she was before. He could have spared her that agony if he had just created something like, listen, alright, here's the thing, okay? If you want to, you can tell the others that I'm a ghost. But here's the thing. I'm actually this dude, I'm in the sarcophagus, in the loading bay, everything's going to be fine here are the exact steps that you need to take go over there do this do that blah blah problem solved and this is where you're going to be safe and this is where your buddy whose name I've forgotten no longer needs to have superpowers he cannot take that risk what happens then is a big grin appears on Clara's face she can't hide it from the crew that her theme starts playing. Da, 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 da. The crew are like, what is going on? How are you happy at this moment? She's like, I know where the doctor is. She runs to the chamber. She opens it. She's like, doctor. He does a sit-up. He's like, this is too early. And he starts to fade, like in Back to the Future logic. And he's dead. And that's it. The series is ended. <laughs> You know what's wonderful about the bootstrap paradox, though, and I'm surprised they didn't lean more into it, is that you literally cannot explain this stuff because the fact that it happens means that events happen that make it happen. So you can't say the Doctor made that ghost appear the way it did because the Doctor never did. He made the ghost appear that way because he saw that ghost appear that way. So it's always just like you're doing a thing because that thing already happened. Yeah, Yeah, blame Beethoven. He started it. Yeah. So like the doctor could he could shout to these blue in his face, like, I would never do that. I don't I would I would never make myself that creepy. Like if, if Clara like was interrogating him, it's like, dude, I didn't do it. Like he, you told me that that's what happened, so I had to do it, otherwise it wouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Sure. Still feel like it didn't have to be a ghost. Oh no, I'm totally with you, but like it's it's, <laughs> it's an interesting thing. I don't know how intentional it is. Probably not in the slightest. It yeah, just, I, I too just... wish this episode had been less scary and more bland. <laughs> I'm super. I mean, it's very cinematic. I, I absolutely appreciate what was done on screen. It was visually effective. It was uh, tense. These were forty-five very tense minutes. Mm. But in the interest of just saving humanity, maybe he would want to actually just streamline this process a little bit. Not for our benefit, for his benefit and mankind's benefit. Now well, the doctor does what he has to do. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy with that as well. Um, this talk of paradox stuff and well, have you just remind me? 
of a, a red dwarf bit where Crichton has to go into the future to sacrifice himself to then kind of come back into the past and he's just like uh, I have to yeah I have to go sacrifice myself so we can get into this current mess hey Jim isn't that the same episode where a guy rocks up in a suspended animation chamber what mm, I don't think so this is the uh, Inquisitor episode oh it's the Inquisitor I'm thinking of justice sorry yeah Possibly the same series, I think, season. I still need to watch Red Dwarf. You really do. I Definitely. really do. I mean, I've quoted it so often, you must be so bored by now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, drink. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now I, re- now I get it. Yes. Now you get it. Oh, yes. Drinking game. Okay, different question. The gigantic babushka dolls on the street in the fake Soviet town, are they meant to be civilians? Is that just how... <laughs> Is that how they thought Soviet townsfolk looked like? Or what they looked like? I genuinely missed that. There were babushka dolls. They're like enormous babushka dolls just around this fake town. Why? Because that was the Soviet Union's primary export. Makes perfect sense. I don't know why I asked about this. (laughs) That was the whole point of the fourth five-year plan. (laughs) When... When you're out there in in Russia, they might throw these at you. We don't know how big they are, so just expect the worst. <laughs> <laughs> All right, different question. The Minister of War, question mark? Yes. Has that been picked up in other media at all? Not that I'm aware of. I was going to ask you guys if this is a thing. I mean, it's coming up readily on Google, but it just says it was mentioned by Alice O'Donnell. All right, okay. Yeah, and there's nothing else. It's a stub. Uh, okay. Um, I have a totally different question as well. Let's hear oh, it. thank goodness. Did, <laughs> did I not understand something, or are we not given any kind of explanation of how Bennett ends up with everyone? Because Doc has travelled by sleeping in a sarcophagus, and Bennett was stuck in the past. I think he's... Shouts to Bennett to run back to the TARDIS. Yeah, oh, Bennett no. is in the TARDIS, and then emergency uh, protocol seven one two. Okay. Same as in blink. We don't see the end of that. Oh. And emerging from the TARDIS, my brain fell asleep. <laughs> Well, fair enough. It had been a very tense 41 minutes up to that point. You're going to black out at some stage. Yeah. <laughs> or lose some memories, such as how to drink liquids. Oh, yeah. That was a nice one. Yeah. I want to speak up in defense of the souped-up hologram in one respect. All right. Here we go. Everyone, lean back. <laughs> Last week, I said, why didn't the doc soup up Clara's hologram in, in the Faraday cage so that it ran around the base and led the ghosts straight there? Nobody had to be put at risk. That could do it for them. Toby Whithouse deliberately didn't make that happen to implicitly, subconsciously, whatever, think that, make the audience think, make me think that the hologram technology was limited to that so that when the doctor's ghost appeared, you didn't immediately suspect it's just another hologram mystery over yeah well played toby well played because until the, the doctor plugged the sonic specs into the i don't know usb d ports or whatever it's got in the console i didn't know and then it was that and okay blah 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 but still for 85 minutes of this double parter i was completely at a loss yeah same here yeah they, they, there are significant chunks of, of this episode and sort of by proxy of this double feature that are truly well crafted oh yeah the scene where lun is like surrounded by ghosts is incredibly tense and like kids must have been hiding behind the sofa for that kind of shit surely and then when he first see the Fisher King. I mean, yeah, this is really, really tense and well done. Yeah. Yeah. See, Toby, we like your work after all. (laughs) I feel like this might be a weird situation where we're ripping this to shreds and then we all go and do our collective reviews and go, yeah, it was good. Yeah. (laughs) 
I'm not changing a word in my mini, by the way. <laughs> oh, you never do. The second you start reading your stuff again, you're, you're bootstrap paradoxed into whoops. Oh, actually, that's I, right. I it's have the best to ever. Give this a four point nine because <laughs> past Leon made me say that. If I hadn't done it, I wouldn't have then exactly recorded this whole review with you guys. Yeah. Shall we try to um, rate this? Let's do that. Hmm. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Before the flood, I had some thoughts, and then the flood came, and they went out of my brain. So I just made up some shit on the spot. Okay, we get some really tense stuff in this serial, not this serial. Jesus, I'm so used to doing classics. This episode. <laughs> <laughs> We get the Fisher King, who for the most part is awesome. We get, I think, Doc and Clara more realized, more consistent than they were in, in the first part of this double parter. You know, I have a lot of thumbs up in my notes of just, you know, I'm enjoying the hell out of this. It's unfortunate that when I tune my brain in and become critical, there are a lot of things to pull apart with it. I've actually forgotten the thing I said that was like, yeah, I'm going to drop a whole point off for that. You know, you know, there are enough things that I feel like I can easily drop a point off, plus some extra decimal points as well. It was the whole question of souls, Jim. Oh, yeah. Okay. That, that'll shtick. Yeah. <laughs> But I, th- I think there's some there's good good performances in here. We've got an interesting fleshed out cast. You know, we we haven't just got the same people from last time. We've got a couple of additions with uh, you know voiceover from Peter Serafinovich. We've got Paul K having a slightly bigger role, but not as big as we probably expected it to be. Which I think were plus points. Like sometimes you shove a more famous person in and it actually becomes a negative. But I think at this point, you know, they were pretty much spot on with their casting for this kind of stuff. Yeah, overall, I think the production values were really good. The music actually was quite standout in a lot of places to get the tension and the, I don't know, just that kind of, not quite horror movie, but, you know, suspense feeling like it definitely would have hit home for me as a kid like this was a proper scary episode which is a definite plus point the plot holes though are pretty big i get quite annoyed by the fourth wall book ending and if you're gonna make such a point about what part of like time manipulation your story is about it really bothers me that you then throw in another time manipulation thing so your your primary stick is bill and tedding and then you do a back to the future no come on just just pick one and then the audience can just be fully on board. They don't have to question anything. When you start messing around with it, it just becomes confusing. And it's confusing as it enough. Come on, this is time travel. But then again, the story is about time travel. So that's good because we don't always get that in Doctor Who. It's nice to have that focus. So it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag. I think by, by and large, mostly positive. I definitely enjoyed this more than the first part. And I did enjoy the first part as well. So I'm going to get there into the mid-high range. And I'm just going to stick with a 3.5. Oh, Jim, that is an excellent rating. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, really? Drew, you're going to put your finger on your nose now? <laughs> this is the internationally recognized sign language for you're going next. All right, here we go. Oh, sweet relief. 
<laughs> That's where I'm starting, by the way. <laughs> Both Doc and Clara are back to themselves in part two of this double feature. As predicted in part one, we get to play with time. As not predicted at all, Clara doesn't go back and save the day. Instead, we're treated to the wonderful realization that part one was just a ruse. If act one of the duo hadn't been a little pants, they could have called this episode The Prestige. Spoilers for The Prestige. Um, perhaps the greatest extent to which I was engaged with both parallel narratives in Before the Flood is testament to the fact that stuffing 45 minutes of an ill-defined underwater storyline into an episode we didn't even know at the time doesn't matter one iota to the whole was too much to ask of an audience to appreciate. And the only way to salvage the pre-drowned remains of that prequel was to cleave it in twain and dilute one half with the other. The side characters were much more sympathetic now as well, though. Thank goodness they killed off the even less interesting ones in Under the Lake. The Kingfisher, by the way, by which I mean the Fisher King, by which I mean not the alien baddie or the Arthurian legend, but the film by Terry Gilliam starring Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges, a film I haven't seen in at least two decades, is one that I can nonetheless wholeheartedly recommend. Perhaps the most accessible among Gilliam's oeuvre, except at a stretch the Munchausen adaptation. The Fisher King here, though, I am slightly less enthused by. Not because he's bad, but because he's so incredibly good that it pains me how little of him and his species we get. He knows about Time Lords, he plans for the plans of an invasion almost a century in advance, and he's happy to bury himself alive and steal other people's souls in the process. What a total fucking psycho! And he looks so badass! If you met this guy in a dark alley, no word of a lie, you would shit! He's like the <laughs> necromongers from the Chronicles of Riddick, but rolled into one really tall dude. These peeps, I said it before, I hinted at it before, but I really mean it. These peeps could have been the big bad of a season. Forget about Chibber's toothface McGillicuddy. More of these chaps, please. But then he drowns. In fact, he always did. And as far as we're aware, this is it for them. I feel like a, a dominatrix strapped me to a bed, tickled my nethers with a peacock feather, and then promised to ride me until daybreak. But instead, she turned off the lights and left me in the dark while she went home to microwave some leftover pasta and watch The prices Right on TV. <laughs> I will stop babbling here because seriously Did that actually happened. <laughs> I wish. Uh, I will stop babbling here because seriously, me, get over yourself. Overall I am thrilled by this episode, so thrilled, in fact, that I'm unfairly rating it, not only on its own merits, but as an exciting double feature of time-jumping, bootstrapping, paradox-loving fun that manages the impossible in that it travels back in time and rewrites part one to suddenly have some semblance of substance. Cloister bells be damned. Okay, here's the thing. All right, right after watching this episode, I gave this a 4.5. And then... Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And then the following morning, I remembered the whole hologram nonsense-ish, blah, blah, blah. That, that was what struck me at the time as being not great. And I came somewhat closer to my senses, and I ended up at a 4.2. And we have torn this episode to shreds. We have picked, a picked it apart, and we have pointed out all the plot holes and everything else. But you know what? The dock was in the sarcophagus the whole time. I, I didn't see that coming. I didn't realize this was a hologram. I'm so impressed by so many other things, and I was thoroughly entertained the whole time. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of bouncing back up and I'm staying at a 4.2. Whoa. Nice. Okay. Well, dude, I'm afraid you're outnumbered. Yep. <laughs> because for me, this episode is all over the place. There are elements I really enjoy and that I haven't emphasized enough previously. The book ends with the Capaldi's Doctor, a very striking 
and they're worth doing once. I know that previous Doctors have broken the fourth wall, but not in this way. I thought Capaldi owned that moment. And in this episode, the Doctor finally has someone worth talking to in his own ghost. I told you Toby Whithouse liked to give the Doctor foes who were his equal. (laughs) And Capaldi does a lot of heavy lifting. The look he gives Bennett when Bennett is blaming him for O'Donnell's death could kickstart a cold fusion reactor. That could solve the energy crisis. for the 21st and 22nd centuries. Just his glare. It is indescribable. And there are sequences where the chamber's opening and the ghosts are converging and the Fisher King is bossing it down in the creepy crypt and the director is very assuredly switching from one to the other and it's all brilliantly effective. And like I say, for 85 minutes... I couldn't figure it out. It was a very tall, tense mystery. But also, a lot of the middle of the episode, it seems a little empty. Exhibit A, the deserted MOD village. First of all, it's just so grim. I know it's Scotland, but really? Wait for a sunny day. And why aren't there any (laughs) military personnel there at all? This is the cold fucking war. Was their radar not working when an enormous new, presumably Soviet aircraft landed, ironically, in the middle of their Krasnovar training facility? Oh, yeah. But for me, the emotional components of this story are where it really falls down i didn't warm to shaggy's new love story i don't think it landed suddenly the sun is shining soft focus from behind velma as shaggy himself would say Cass is suddenly very unhappy that Clara is putting Lun's life at risk. But what did Cass do with everybody but Lun last week? Yeah, take a look in the spaceship. It's fine. You're all dead to me anyway. Oh, ha, ha, some of you really are. Look, there's your ghost now. <laughs> and I'm going to forgive the Sonic Specs being behind the hologram because it isn't really a minus in the end insofar as they're the Sonic Specs. Of course, the Doc needs a device to deliver his ingenuity. And these performed that basic function. And in doing so, this is a better ending than Flatline gave us, for instance, with its point and shoot and the boneless go back to their dimension. Yeah, agreed. The Fisher King was grotesque and horrifying, slightly underwhelmed for reasons I said. But I think this is better than the first part, slightly. So I'm going to give it a 3.5. Ooh. Very nice. I guess I'm not invited to the same page club. Oh, okay, fine. No, no. Didn't want to come anyway. You can stay there on page I don't know, 22. 4.2. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to hang out on page 99. Yeah. Mm, love it. Emotionally satisfying price point. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent stuff. Oh, well, that's us done. And there's no Marie, so shall we hear what Podcast Land had to say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now that was metal. This is now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Welcome to the Listener Mini segment, you lucky, lucky people. <laughs> this week, we have three Listener Minis. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Same as last week. Thanks, guys, for giving us closure. The first one is from Eccleston is Best. Hello, Eccleston is Best. Eccleston is Best begins. The Doctor, science guy, and definitely not Osgood, go to the past to discover what is causing the ghosts. And the reason why there was a damn bursting explosion. Meanwhile, kind of, Clara, loving deaf leader and generic crew person with no real personality, <laughs> face the new ghost and read the mysterious message left by him. Eggleton is best, then starts with some, um, Sontarans. First, Sontaran, slash like. I found the Doctor to be cold and unfeeling. This was similar to his character in Season 8, and that while he appeared to be improving around Clara, he's still cold and calculated underneath. He reminds me of a certain umbrella-toting Dalek massacring Doctor with an ace up his sleeve. Ooh. 
wonder what number doctor that would be. Ooh. The missing battery is used to create the bomb to flood the valley. I just figured the battery would be dropped or some other ham-fisted excuse to divert your attention. Eccleston is best did not expect the doctor to spring out of the casket and loves his morning breath line. I'd say I actually hated the morning breath line. Hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair. Uh, last like, or last Suntaran. Um, I like how the already established hologram was used to create the Doctor Ghost. Ooh. But after the Suntarans come the Pig Slaves. This is written in all caps, but I'm not going to pronounce it in all caps. The return of the Shrewmouse alien who ruined the God Complex. Yes, it is the same writer, but why, why, of the hundreds of established aliens in the Hooniverse, why not bring back literally any other alien? <laughs> I should rename my B section to shrew mouse thing rather than pig slaves then do it yeah next <laughs> is the monster of the week is just plain dumb he should be imposing but he can't run wields a tiny pistol Oi, size doesn't matter. Means, and competes with the time lords for most obstructive neck collar <laughs> true <laughs> And last, he is the Fisher King. Why does he just drown? Because he's not the Fish King. Yeah. And Exton is best, of course, gives us a rating. And that is 3.6 abandoned fake rushes. Very nearly a perfect rating, Eccleston is best. <laughs> Nicely done, Eccleston is best. Thank you very much. Ooh, thank you very much. Next up, who do we have? Eddie Rock. <laughs> what up, Eddie? Hey there, Eddie. Eddie starts. This episode certainly starts off with a bang. Unfortunately, it only goes downhill from there. The opening segment explaining the bootstrap paradox had me hooked. Anyone notice the amp was from Magpie Electronics? Yeah, oh, Yes. I love they're still using that after seven seasons. Follow that up with fun dialogue from O'Donnell where she name drops former companions and a sadly dropped plot point in whatever the Ministry of War was going to be. O'Donnell dying was sad, of course, but I felt nothing of the relationship with Bennett because it felt like it was just thrown in there for extra gravitas. One million percent, Eddie <laughs> Rock! <laughs> We are rocks of a feather on that one. The Fisher King's costume was very impressive, but also looked extremely silly. It ends up the bootstrap paradox scene at the beginning was only there to hand wave away a resolution that made no sense, which soured the whole thing for me. Also, he just stabbed the sunglasses into a random hole on the console. I guess he's done similar with previous Sonics, but this just looked dumb. Eddie Rock continues, you've probably already mentioned it, but those two subtle guest stars I mentioned last episode, the Fisher King's voice was Peter Serafinovich, and the scream was done by Slipknot frontman Corey Taylor. Great little cameos that saved this episode a bit for me. Overall, not as good as part one, but definitely not as bad as some part twos we've seen previously. And Eddie Rock gives this a 2.6 magically appearing hologram ghosts. 2.6. Ooh, ooh. Not easily impressed, Eddie Rock. <laughs> an excellent nice mini. Nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good thing they had those cameos. <laughs> <laughs> people of podcast land who are not Eddie Rock please follow Eddie Rock on Twitter Eddie Rock can be found at the Eddie Rock all in one word for your convenience thank you very much Eddie rock on Eddie rock <laughs> <laughs> come on let's introduce the next reviewer it is the one the only Michael Ridgeway 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 <laughs> <laughs> How was that, Leon? Bang on? Nah. <laughs> yeah, I was too eager, I know. I just couldn't wait. <laughs> Love you, Michael. Oh my goodness, have you grown? You're so big, I can see it from Africa. 
Michael yeah, submitted this one via Twitter DM, and we really should read his his initial DM, which was to say that he didn't have access to email because he's currently in a tent in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by hyenas. Definitely Africa. <laughs> Holy moly. Very exciting, Michael. That is also some commitment to go to to get us this mini. He's <laughs> not bothered about the hyenas. His number one priority is will they get this <laughs> mini in time? Thank you very much, <laughs> Michael. No, stop cheering, Mike. No, just, just hang on two seconds. I've got to hit send. <laughs> <laughs> stop laughing. This isn't funny. <laughs> Wait, you can laugh at this bit. Anyway, uh, shall we start with Michael's likes? I think we should. Yeah, do it. Okay, fine. I will grab the first like. It is scary stuff. The predator-like Fisher Kings stalking the Doctor and Co. More Fisher King people, please. And the shiny S axe-wielding ghost of Commander Moran stalking Cass was all very creepy. Mm-mm. Next like. The time travel slash paradox stuff felt satisfactory. I guess it worked if the Doctor's ghost was merely a hologram. However, I reserve the right to deduct one point if Team Huback went unravel it all as utter nonsense. I'd say deduct 0.5. <laughs> I say stay exactly where you are. <laughs> I may have read ahead. <laughs> I say if if we had deducted a point and then the point was deducted, then we have to deduct the point because the point was deducted. Oh, good stuff, Jim. But hang on, wait. Doesn't that mean that the episode's logic is flawless because the bootstrap paradox works? Meta paradox! Add the point then- back in! wasn't deducted and then <laughs> yes the world has ended and the universe has imploded oh my goodness oh well done Michael <laughs> this it. is his plan Just all along <laughs> <laughs> that's how he beats the hyenas they'll never have existed <laughs> back to the mini last like from Mike <laughs> good to know unit is back in action in 2119 after being unceremoniously abolished due to budget cuts in resolution oh yeah in the long game nice Michael does of course have some If the Doctor's ghost was a hologram projected by his sonic shades, how could it (laughs) operate the computer to open the Faraday cage? But then, how did the other ghost do it? Ah, I don't know. Hand wave. You might as well just go, uh, but yeah, but how episode? <laughs> no, I, I think he's got a point. It's not a real ghost. It's a hologram. It's different. It can't do everything a ghost can. But the electromagnetic projections, like, how is that different from a hologram? Uh, but, okay. but the sonic can open doors. True. Could something created by the sonic, such as this fake ghost, this Faust, could it open doors as well? Yeah, well, there you go. That's how it could. Michael. Bingo. Is it me? Yeah, go for it. The reason why the ghosts don't attack in daylight is because blah, 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 <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> No, Michael, they said it was out of phase, which should tell you everything you need to know. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Next. Dear Ministry of Defense, technically you wouldn't find any posters of Stalin in 1980s Russia, given Stalin was retconned a total ass by Khrushchev in 1956. Well done, Michael. Well done. (laughs) Learn your history, Toby Witt. House. House. And the final, Dr. Fan O'Donnell reels off a bunch of big bads, including Saxon. But we haven't seen the Minister of War abandoned plotline. Is it too late for us to put this in audiobook number two, Leon? <laughs> Given the duration of our part one table read, I think we oh, should yeah. probably leave this part for the third audiobook. Okay, yeah, good point. <laughs> well made. 
Uh, you know what? Maybe just a throwaway line. So Michael summarizes this with a dollop of horror, a dash of really quite interesting time travel stuff, and a sprinkling of Richard Curtis rom-com. And what does he give this? What What does he give this, Drew? What this, does he give this? He, give the, he gives this a frankly erroneous 4.3 <laughs> out of 5 perfectly innocent campers, farmers, ramblers, scout groups, and probably sheep who all drowned horribly. <laughs> Bravo, Doctor. Bravo. <laughs> think of that actually yes i did because how would this not have oh you know that's why there's nobody there that's why there's there's no unit presence because if unit had been there and known at all that the doctor was there then when he rocked up in 2119 it would have been in the records yeah that's true did i explain that it's an abandoned military exercise ground or i don't think so i think this is just another one this is exactly like the underwater base being a like an oil rig it's just a moniker that means nothing if anything they shouldn't have gone back to 1980 they should have gone back to like 2072 or something and it is an abandoned thing from 1980s yeah or even yeah. Just 1994 this was built at the height of the cold war but the berlin's walls just come down and we're all chummy with boris yeltsin so hooray <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway Learn your history toby Whitehouse. <laughs> Excellent mini, Michael, and a fabulous yeah. score. <laughs> People who are not Michael, please do follow Michael and high-five him from us. He can be found online at bad... Underscore. Movie. Underscore. Club. Thanks very much. Thank you, Michael. Love you, Michael. So big. Too big for just one hyena. That's going to take a whole pack. Yeah, stay safe, Michael. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, when we get your next mini, that's when, that's when we'll breathe a sigh of relief. And that's it. Next up, what do we have, peeps? Well, we have a hell of a treat in the Classic Channel because we have finally made it to Sharda. Oh, so excited. Sharda, the Sharda, the prison planet of the Time Lords. No idea, still haven't seen it. Legendary lost serial written by Douglas Adams. Are you shitting me? Not shitting you one bit. (laughs) Tune in for that, my goodness. Leon, what have we got in the new channel? Well, I will tell you what we've got. We have The Girl Who Died. In the audio channel, we have relative dimensions at some point. Correct. And we'll get back to recording bonus episodes just as soon as the world snaps back to its previous state and we can even partly be more adjacent. Right now, we're sort of stymied a little. True that. But if you want even more Us content between now and then, where can you find us online, Jim? Why, I can be found on Twitter at Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the what now? <laughs> oh, you as well. Jesus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it's very clearly Jimmy the Who. Right, I found it genuinely confusing. There's no need to patronize me. <laughs> Shit. Leon, where can you be found online? Well, I, you know what? I still haven't really made up my mind. So for the for the foreseeable, I am still at Ponkin. Bootstrap paradox, stuck for eternity. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fixed point in Twitter. Oh, no. You cannot change it. <laughs> what about you, Drew? I can be found at Drew back when. Excellent branding. Ooh. Mm-mm. Well, podcast land, that's it. Until the next time, be rad and excellent to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Rock on and cha chow. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs> both go bye bye. That's my thing. Bye bye. That's how you do it. Toodles. <laughs> oh, hello. See ya. <laughs> Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! 
Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?